Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. Good morning, Memphis. This is your weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. My name is Anna Mullins Ellis. I am here with my friend and colleague, Christy Mullins. Hello, happy Tuesday. Happy <laughs> Tuesday, Christy. We are coming to you uh, from New Memphis, a local nonprofit that is working to make Memphis magnetic for great talent. We are working to develop, engage, connect, and activate leaders in our community. Um, so every week we put this lovely radio program and podcast together. Thanks to WYXR for hosting us on this platform uh, because we want to share the voices and the stories of other leaders in Memphis who are doing amazing things, uh, making incredible change. And Christy and I are both big fans of our, <laughs> I think we might, we might have scared her a little bit when we did this interview because <laughs> we were like, we're, we think you're really cool. We love your yes. work. Um, I'm going to so, quote you back to you now. Exactly. <laughs> like, so um, Jen Andrews is here. She is a 2017 graduate of our New Memphis LDI program. She's also a graduate of our fellows program. So she is uh, well-versed in the ways of New Memphis. <laughs> um, she serves as the CEO of Shelby Farms Park Conservancy, um, which, again, you will hear in our interview, Christy and I have raved about Um this is, you know, such an incredible asset. She and her colleagues and so many other community leaders have really carved out this incredible urban park that is truly, you know, rivals any other country. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, any, any other country. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Any other we cities. don't know, but in the cities of It is the best park in the world. <laughs> and that's, I'm sticking to it. I mean, it's true to us. It does. I mean, so. it really, I, I joke, but it, it it is such a gem and... Um, Jen is uh, just such a, um, a humble and thoughtful leader who has really just brought this vision of this incredible park to life. Um, so she gave a TED Talk. Is it was it in 2018? Yes, in 2018, the magical feels, magnetic power. Feels like of it was just yesterday, but um, <laughs> I have been a fan of Jen's long enough that I was like, you must do a TED Talk. So she gave an incredible TED Talk. So we're also going to. Uh, show yeah. or show we're going to play uh, because this is an audio format <laughs> and you cannot see me unfortunately um, but we are going to um, share her TED talk uh, in this talk so I've I've rambled on is there anything else we need to do to introduce Jen no not quite except we can just stop nerding out at any point <laughs> I feel like would be happy for the listeners so like just stop talking bring on the guests so that's what I'm about to do let's introduce Jen <laughs> All right, guys, Jen Andrews is here with us, and she is actually a 2017 graduate of the New Memphis LDI program, and she serves as the current CEO at Shelby Farms Park Conservancy. Welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to have you here. I'm like, I'm kind of disappointed you didn't bring a buffalo with you, but that's I fine. Um, I will get over it. <laughs> but um, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, got to spend some time this weekend at my park, so that makes me happy. Awesome. I got to spend some time at your park this weekend, too. Oh, good. What'd you do? We had uh, lunch at the Coastal Fish Company. Great. And then we did a jaunt around the lake. Mm -hmm. And then Sunday, we took the dogs. So that Great. was, again, a sick dog, but it was fun. Yeah. We had a good time. Um, good. But full, full, full of amazing people. I love... I mean, you like this is like the like I'm not a crowd person, and like going to the park and there being a crowd is like the one thing that I'm like I love when there's a ton of people here. It just feels good. <laughs> I agree with that completely. I'm also not a crowd person, uh, but I love to see my park all filled up with people. 
Yeah. So you guys had a big year, I would imagine. I mean, I was so, every time we have folks in here, right, over the last year, it's been like, so mm-hmm. how's it going? Like, right. you know, no <laughs> one's been in your restaurant forever. No one's, you know. Right. But I, I imagine that you guys saw a big uptick in usage this year. Is that just huge? Pre- okay. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Um, so far, 40% increase wow. in wow. park usage year over year. And you'll remember, we already had a lot of people using the mm-hmm. park. So. Um, there were already tons of people, but now there are even more. We have some trails where we're seeing a 70% increase year over year. So what that tells us is that all of our normal visitors are coming to the park more than ever and that we're also picking up a lot of new visitors, people that maybe haven't used a trail before, haven't walked through the woods before. Yeah. Um, so we we think that's wonderful. At the same time, we've never had a more difficult year for operating our business. Mm. You know, more people in the park is more drain on resources. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's also our mission, so we're happy to have it. Uh, But we rely on a mix of earned revenue and contributed support, uh, along with Shelby County funding, to manage the park. And we lost all of our earned revenue in the pandemic, uh, probably about $2 million so far. So we've had this interesting mix yeah. where, you know, there's been more demand forever than ever before for park usage. Um, so our mission is just right at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, it's never been more difficult um, to operate the park. But I'm really proud of the team. I think that we've done a great job. My park rangers uh, have been coming to the park every single day during the pandemic, mm-hmm. doing what they do normally, plus uh, more with more visitors. So we're, we're very proud. And, you know, things are looking pretty good for us. We did get a couple of PPP loans. We got some CARES Act funding. Shelby County Commission stepped up and helped us. And then our donors have really risen to the occasion. I was going to say, I mean, hopefully um, logic would dictate that as people more people are using the park and using it with more mm-hmm. frequency that they would also be giving and giving with greater frequency. So I hope that those listening um, take that lesson to heart. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, certainly, I, again, I mean, not only, I'm sure, again, seeing this uptick in usage, but just I personally have certainly reconsidered how much I value having that as a place to go. Um you know, I, I kind of joke that my neighborhood is like a little prison now because I feel like I've walked the four or five miles surrounding my home so many times in the right. last year. Um, so just like the the beauty of the park, the the way that there you can go, you can go on Saturday and you can go on Sunday and discover new parts of, you know, you can see completely different terrain and just enjoy a completely different experience. So I hope that more people have had that revelation in the last 12 months. Yeah. You know, I've spent more than a decade preaching this message to people, which is that our public parks are not luxuries. They're critical infrastructure, just like sewers and electrical and all of the other things that we need to make a city great. Our parks are part of that and should be considered part of it. They're really important to our physical health, to our mental well-being, uh, to bonding communities together, spending time in nature with people that are different than you. And I feel like the pandemic uh, has been all around bad, but really has brought that message to the forefront. I think more people than ever would agree that our parks are really important. I completely agree that our parks are really important. Like Anna said, they're really like a lifesaver during those times, and they're great all the time, people, but specifically when you're trapped in your house for hours upon end. You just mentioned that you've been doing this for like a decade now. I'm kind of interested, Jen, like let the people know that are listening, how did you become the CEO of Shelby Farms? Like what led you here? Well, I came to Memphis um, to go to Rhodes College. I graduated in 2006. I'm a first-generation college student. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, in a very small town. Um, So I was very proud to be at Rhodes and uh, enjoyed my time in Memphis, but I didn't necessarily plan to stay. Um, But to go to grad school, I got 
a degree in English literature, thought I was going to go get a PhD in literary criticism and be a professor and maybe live in a library for the rest of my life <laughs> and be very happy. Um, but I needed, when I graduated, I needed to make some money to pay for my grad school mm -hmm. program. And so I sent my resume out to some alumni and said, I'm going to be in town for a year or two and I need to work and I would love to do something community focused or nonprofit based. And uh, someone happened to connect me to a woman who had an idea to start a nonprofit for Shelby Farms Park, a park I knew nothing about, yeah. uh, despite having lived in the city for four years. Mm. Um, and that they, she had just gotten a grant to hire an employee, the first employee for the nonprofit. <laughs> and so that was me. The job description the was first everything. <laughs> it was office manager, but we didn't have an office. Uh, so I, I always said, you know, that was my, my uh, predecessor, Laura Morris, always said, you're very visionary to have hired an office manager before you had an office. Right. Just a good example. And I got involved and we were working on the conservation easement to protect the property mm -hmm. um, from harmful development. There had never been an easement for the property. So, you know, it's 4,500 acres of green space in the middle of a city. It actually could have been sold or developed at any time. And it's only because uh, advocates fought for it to be protected that it wasn't. But we got an easement for the property. So we spent a year lobbying uh, elected officials and working toward that. And, um, you know, at the end of that year, I thought, well, that was great, and I, I really feel like I helped do something important, but I'd love to see this management agreement between the nonprofit and the county for managing the park happen. So I'm going to spend one more year working on that, and then I'll go to grad school. <laughs> and so I spent, <laughs> I, you know how the story goes, I spent another year working on that, and then uh, the master plan was cranking up, and you know we had recruited this master planner out of Manhattan, the people that did the High Line, and uh, a bunch of great work all over the world. And I, you know, every year there was some new exciting thing that I just couldn't wait to be part of. And I really had no idea how it was going to work out, but I just had a deep feeling that I had purpose and that I was valuable to the process yeah. and that it meant something to me. And I was really never willing to sacrifice that to go to grad school. And over time, I realized that my dream had changed. Yeah. Um, so I, I ran communications for the park for a while. It's had a writing background. And then I took over development because someone had to. Yes. <laughs> that's, always, that's always how it goes, right? Yeah. And that was really interesting. And then I started learning more about the business side of things, uh, about finance and all of that. I love to learn. I love to be challenged. I love to, um, you know, have a problem presented to me and then try to figure out all the things that I need to learn to solve the problem. And the park is a never-ending series of interesting problems to solve and so when the position came up for uh, CEO, I threw my hat in the ring. Uh, a board member urged me to. I'm not yeah. sure that I would have had the courage to do it otherwise because they were doing a national search. And I thought, you know, there are going to be people who've run mm -hmm. city park systems all over the country that are going to apply for this. Um, but that board member reminded me that, you know, they may have more experience running park systems in Philadelphia or wherever else. Mm -hmm. Uh, but nobody had more experience or intimate understanding of Shelby Farms Park. So uh, I threw my hat in the ring, and here I am. Look at you for being brave. <laughs> well, thank goodness for strong women on my board of directors yes. who encouraged me not to uh, demure from an opportunity. Um, that was very helpful. No, yeah. seriously. I fully respect that because I am also not someone that would just be like, okay, let's go. I would need to be pushed off a cliff yeah. in order to do something like yeah. that. Yeah, so, I, I like to be pushed off a cliff. Yeah. That's a good leadership <laughs> position for me. <laughs> I <laughs> respect it. <laughs> you hinted at it a little bit, but I do, you know, 
as someone who's been in Memphis uh, kind of on the same timeline that, that you have been, um, it's it. I remember when Shelby Farms Park was not Shelby Farms Park when it, you know, it was sort of right. this just like grassy, you know, plot mm-hmm. of land that you drove past going yeah. from, you know, East Memphis to, to Midtown. And um, I think that people, I don't want to say they take it for granted, but, you know, I think it has a really interesting history. So yes. tell us a little bit more about how, the journey from plot of land to Shelby Farm Park's conservancy. And like, mm-hmm. again, all of the facilities, all of the um, different activities, the trail, like how that, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. that was a process, but 10 years is not that long of a time mm-hmm. to sort of see that. So just give us a little bit of, you know, in terms of that big master plan and the vision, what was number one and sort of like how did the dominoes line up where we're at, where, where we are, where we're at today? Yeah, I'm going to give you a condensed version of what is a truly fascinating history. I mean, learning about the history of this piece of land is incredible. And I feel like I'm learning new things about it all the time, which is amazing because I've been with the park since 2006. Mm. Um, The land was uh, the site of the Shelby County Penal Farm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, humble beginnings for (laughs) for Great Urban Park. That's the one thing I did know. So, like, yeah. so I have not lived here quite as long as you guys have. But, like, so it's always been Shelby Farms mm-hmm. to me, like, what it is. But, like, that was the one thing I was like, wasn't it prison land at one point? <laughs> it was. Like- yeah. It was all owned by the county. Of course, the city, at that, we're talking, like, nineteen late 1920s yeah. to 1960s-ish. I'm yeah. probably fudging some years there. But that's when it operated as a penal farm. And the county owned all the property. And they were very, very proud of it. The city, of course, was really still you know, down by the river and sort of what we think of Midtown today and maybe getting into kind of East Memphis. Um, you know, when it was operating as a penal farm, the city hadn't yet seen that explosion of Eastford development. Um, they're very proud of the penal farm. They, we've got all <laughs> kinds of uh, really cool pictures from the past, you know, prize cows that they had. You know, they they uh, blew up these big, huge pictures that they hung in the county buildings. <laughs> and um, you can still, when you're driving through the, or if you were riding through the park with me on a golf cart, I could show you. I was like, is that an invitation, Jen? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that is always going to be the best part of my day if I get to do that. So please come out. Um, I, I could show you vestiges of the old penal farm. You can still see that the way the land was shaped uh, in the past has influenced how it's developed. Now, you know, the berms that were created for farmland. Uh, we still have some weird concrete structures uh, near the Chickasaw Trail and Chickasaw Lake that were part of what they called Pig City, which is where they raised <laughs> pigs. Um it's it's a fascinating history. I, mean, you I know, think Petropolis would have been a better name, but you know, I digress. <laughs> See, they, need, they needed your PR help. Right. Exactly. That would have been helpful. Um, penal farms fell out of fashion, and for good reason. Yes, um, you know, for issues of exploitative labor and all of that. And the city was growing eastward, so it, it became sort of a more questionable use of a big piece of property. Uh, and then over the years, people really um, battled to protect the property. Um, every time a developer would come up with an idea. And everything you could imagine has been posed for Shelby Farms Park, or what they called it then, the penal farm. Um, Activists, citizens would stand up and say, we need to preserve this land for public use, which is astounding to me Mm. that, you know, so many years ago that they had the um, vision and forethought not to know what the city would need in a public park, but to know that the land should be preserved for public use. Um, People like Lucius Birch and Charlie Newman and uh, all of the great forefathers and mothers of the park. So um, then in the, 
I want to say 80s. I'm really going to fudge a lot of dates Sorry. here. It's okay. We no wrote it with confidence. I'm going to be like, that's history now. <laughs> we wrote a book about it. We wrote a book about it. So if you want to. That's uh, right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you want to fact check me, uh, it's all in there. <laughs> Tom Jones wrote a beautiful um, history of the park. But the um, as the city had grown eastward rapidly, uh, there became a need for a north-south thoroughfare uh, through the park. And so a highway was proposed that I think would have eight to ten lanes and it, it would have just destroyed the park. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would have carved it up into pieces. There would really be no park uh, anymore. So people fought against that. And that battle raged on for years, different iterations of that design. Uh, people who wanted a road um, at all costs and people who wanted no road at any cost. And um, my predecessor, I think, uh, in the late 90s, was really working with a group of uh, uh, city leaders um, to try to come up with a compromise. You know, could there, because the the space was being used as a park at that time, um, you know, they asked the question, uh, if there had to be a road through the park, is there a version of that road that could be a positive thing for the park? As opposed to yes or no, is there mm. something kind of in the middle? And a group of citizens who represented all kinds of different interests uh, got together and de designed what they call a context-sensitive solution. And so uh, we designed that into our master plan. That's what enabled us to exist, um, you know, striking that deal, putting together the nonprofit to run the park. So we ended the conversation about what couldn't happen at Shelby Farms. And that enabled us to open the conversation about what's possible at Shelby Farms and what people deserve. Because we think 4,500 acres of green space in the middle of a city owes its people quite a bit. Mm. That's a that's, great point. That's a long, that was a longer history than I intended no, to I give you, it. but it's like, a lot. It was very you know? interesting, though. Like, in terms of, like, the size of Shelby Farms, like, I know it's bigger than Central Park. Yes. But, like, how do, where are we, like, on a list of, like, how big we are in comparison? Sure. If you're, if you're like me and you still don't have any idea what an acre is, <laughs> uh, even, even though I grew up in a farm community and I probably yeah. should, um, 4,500 acres is really, really big. It's about five times the size of Central Park, which wow. is a big park. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you've been to Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, one of my favorite parks, I think that's a little over 1,000 acres, and that park feels enormous. So yeah. it, it really is truly a huge park. And the reason the size matters, for one, it's a distinguishing factor. You know, it sets us apart from a lot of other cities. I mean, there there are bigger parks, you know, right. Yellowstone is, <laughs> but, but, you know, a true metropolitan park that yeah. has city development on all sides of it. Um, really, it's unparalleled, uh, the potential, the impact for the city. And then you think about the pandemic. We're so lucky that we have this enormous space, even with 40% increase in visitor usage this year, there's plenty of room mm. for everybody to come and do whatever they want, whether what they want is to gather safely in groups of people and be able to see their loved ones or just see other humans, you know, walking around the lake. Or if you want to disappear a little bit and get into the woods and not see anybody, you can still do that. Even with, you know, I think three Sundays ago, we had 17,000 people in the park wow. and we're not even able to count every single visitor. So we know it's more than that. Even with 17,000 people, you can still be alone mm. at the park if you want to. Yeah, it's I. <laughs> I was just like taking sort, that in. I, I sort like, of joke <laughs> with my friends. Like in the last year, it's been like we've changed from like let's meet up and have a drink to like let's meet up and take a walk. Yeah, because that's the safe thing yeah. to do. Um, mm -hmm. but it really is like I think transformed all of our like I don't know health wellness just like overall outlook and um, 
yeah, so I, I'm going to like wax on and on about how much I love the park. But That's I do okay. Think, I'm, I'm very open <laughs> to that. Well, it, it does feel very, as a Mimpian, it feels like a very um, personal space. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. it, it's something that I feel like we all can sort of embrace. And and one other thing, and I think part of the size, the size and just the the geographic location, you know, when you're a midtowner, you're like Overton Park feels like my park. If you're mm-hmm. a downtowner, like, you know, the, the river parks. Mm-hmm. But um Anybody like you can live in any community in Memphis. I live in Germantown now, so like it still feels like my park. Yeah, you you know I felt as much my park when I lived downtown, and I just feel like there's something really special about that. And you and you feel that when you're there that you know mm-hmm. that this is a place where people are coming from all corners of our community and enjoying this asset. And I just think it's when we talk about we had um, some friends on from um, Innovate Memphis a few weeks ago, and they were talking about the Civic Commons projects. Mm-hmm. And to me, I mean, not that that's an amazing project as well, but um, that is really, I, I think, fully lived in at Shelby Farms Park. This mm-hmm. idea of this like inclusive destination that is like come as you are, and everyone just like it just feels very welcoming and warm. And I know that's sort of the the ideal of a park, but it really feels like you guys have distilled it so perfectly there. And so, getting back to, I mean, we've talked about the history. Um, Tell me what is next for the park. So, I mean, obviously we've, in the last, what, five years? When did the uh, Hyde Lake finish? 2016 in the fall we opened it. Wow. On 9.01, so is that September 1st at 9.01 (laughs) a.m.? We're very very cheesy. (laughs) We post this, we have our radio show, which lot. It airs on WYXR every Tuesday, but then after live airing, it actually goes on Podcast Network at 9.01 a.m. Perfect. So I didn't even realize that. Yeah, city pride. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so, yeah, that was, I mean, obviously, I mean, you can recap mm-hmm. what that development was. Sure. But as you guys are looking at the next five or ten years, mm-hmm. what's next for the park? Yep. Um, so the master plan that we put together, the reason that we did that is because even with a very large public space like Shelby Farms Park is, there's risk that over time in trying to address immediate concerns that you fill the park up with stuff uh, mm-hmm. without much of a plan to guide priorities. And I'm I'm a big believer uh, in that parks are not meant to be um, developed with every acre. You mm-hmm. know, you there's a huge value to open space and uh, not just to to nature, to to the ecology, the animals that live there. Um, but also to people, we we need open space as well. So, um, you know, we we knew that Shelby Farms Park was not living up to its potential for the people of Shelby County. But we also wanted to be really thoughtful about how the park developed and changed over the years. And so we put together this master plan uh, that helps us make what we call 50-year decisions or 100-year decisions for the park. Not to say that we can't try mm-hmm. some things, um, But really, we want to be very thoughtful and careful and not just take up every opportunity that comes our way and fill up the park with stuff over time. So um, the first phase and probably the most substantial phase of the master plan is what we just finished in 2016. And that's uh, building out what we call the heart of the park. Uh, And the idea there is that you concentrate uh, use, you draw people in to this vibrant core and then they uh, disseminate out into the wilder parts of the park. And at the same time, the vibrant core is what allows you to generate the revenue that you need to operate a sustainable park. And then over time, you reinvest that money in those wilder parts of the park to make sure that our ecosystems are thriving. So that's kind of the hmm. the big idea the of the master of life plan. In the park. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you, you know, the, the thing about parks that people don't think about a lot uh, is that, you know, we operate these parks as businesses. 
You know, I'm I am a landlord to two restaurants. I have a full hospitality business that I supervise. I've got a retail services business. And then we're, you know, we have that kind of for-profit wing. Mm -hmm. And then we've got traditional nonprofit work like fundraising and communications and programming. And then we're also physically operating the largest urban park in the country, plus the Green Line mm -hmm. every day. <laughs> so it's a really complex business. And getting the numbers yeah. to work is very, very difficult. And most park conservancies would tell you the same, although they're all set up a little bit different. For us, the county provides 25% of uh, what we need to take care of the park every year. And then we have to raise and earn the rest of our $5 million budget. So it's a heavy lift mm -hmm. uh, to do that. That's why getting heart of the park right was so important because right. we're not going to build restaurants and event centers all over the park. That's not our vision. Right. So we really needed that to be the economic engine. Um, we launched our capital campaign uh, right before the recession hit in 2008, which was just just great timing to be to be uh, learning how to fundraise. Um, but what we decided was. Because we'd already raised some a substantial amount of money. We had about $20 million, I think, at the time. We decided instead of waiting to fund all of Heart of the Park and then build all of Heart of the Park, we did some demonstration projects. Those were the Green Line, uh, which, you know, people like. That one was pretty, pretty popular. <laughs> a minor success. Yeah, a minor success. Um, Small clan. Yeah. Uh, and a bridge over the Wolf River on the south side of the park that connects into the Wolf River Greenway. We did those two first because one of the problems identified in the master plan was connectivity, mm. that the park uh, was very hard to get to at the time if you didn't have a car. Yeah. Um, so we solved some connectivity problems that way. And then the playground, uh, the Woodland Discovery Playground, also pretty big hit. Yeah. So uh, that was great because those three projects also really taught us as young operators a lot about operating a park, the playground in particular. Uh, resounding success. You know, people love it. We thought there would be about 400 people a day in the playground. <laughs> and uh, anyone who's been there can tell you that was crazy. That's, like, uh, <laughs> that's the hourly attendance. Yes. I mean, yeah, on a pretty Saturday. It's closed right now due to COVID yeah. because of the way that the landscape sort of groups people together. It's just not quite safe, we don't think. But we hope soon we can open it. Um, you know, a thousand kids could be in there on a yeah. pretty Saturday. So the wear and tear on the things that we built mm. uh, was uh, way greater than we had planned for. We also didn't build any revenue opportunities into it, even though we probably could have, you know, so we could have sold refreshments or a little gift shop or something like that. So I'm so fortunate, I think, that we did that first. And then we approached the design of Heart of the Park because we really rethought everything because we said, you know, the landscape has to work or none of it works, but the business plan has to work too. Mm. We have to be able to take care of the things that we built. So I've spent the last four or five years getting that business plan right. Um, part of that was growing our revenue, but also uh, working with Shelby County to get an increase in our annual allocation, which came through uh, last December. Congratulations. So, thank you. Yeah. So we can actually operate a sustainable budget now, which is great news because we wanted the promises that we made to be true, you know, that we could build something really great that's world class and we could operate it in a world class way. And we can. Congratulations. Like, yeah. yeah. It's Huge so win. exciting. <laughs> well, it, it, as you describe it, it really reminds us how how expensive it truly is to have this asset and that, you know i never thought about like the wear and tear on the playground and mm -hmm. the surrounding um plant plant life and all of that but that that makes a lot of sense and yeah. i can say honestly you know i've never been to the park and thought this looks run down or this doesn't you know i mean it's so well kept and i can imagine thank you how how large is the team that that from the, the rangers through the mm -hmm. office staff 
Uh, we have probably just under 50 people right now on permanent staff. Uh, we had a hiring freeze last year, so I sure. uh, hope to increase that a little bit here soon. And then, you know, could be about that many seasonal over the course of a year, you know, because we operate um, boat and bike rentals. We have playground monitors. We've got a water playground. Um, so, you know, it's been as many as almost 100, mm. uh, probably somewhere between 70 and 100 throughout the course of the year. You know, the only things we spend money on are um, taking care of the park, the people that take care of the park, and the people that raise and earn the rest of the money that it requires to take care of the park. <laughs> those, are, those are the only things that we spend money on. Everything uh, is reinvested back into the park. And everything is publicly owned also. So if we privately raise money and build um, a visitor center or an event center like we did, we donate those facilities back to the county. Everything is owned by the public. We don't own anything. Uh, and I think it's a really neat and special business model. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of the reason that we did the work that we did and that we um, went as big as we did in our in our um, the scale of our ideas, because it would have been easy to have scaled it back a little bit and to do more with less. Um, but we really thought it was important to do something truly world class for Memphis. We wanted people to come to the park and not think um, wow, uh, this doesn't feel like Memphis. That I heard that a lot when we first opened. Mm -hmm. We want people to think that this does feel like Memphis. Mm -hmm. This is Memphis. You know, that um, this is the best of us. This is the, the word. I said this in my TED Talk, um, which is a weird sentence to say, by the way. Like, <laughs> did you hear my TED Talk? Um, and not uh, be facetious about yeah, it. Right. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for coming to my TED Talk. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I think that the work that we do in our public space is a reflection of our values that we share. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the work that we did at Shelby Farms Park was in part intended to inspire everybody to demand more and expect more in our public realm. That's why I'm so excited to see the work happening uh, on the river parks. And uh, full disclosure, I'm on the board of that organization, mm -hmm. yeah. so I'm very biased. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, we wanted people to say, to look at Shelby Farms Park and then think we could have more mm -hmm. than what we have and we deserve it. I think you just gave like the perfect intro segue <laughs> into your TED Talk, actually. Great. So, guys, we're about to listen to Jen's TED Talk. It was called The Magical Magnetic Power of Parks in the Public Realm. Hi, I'm Jen, and I'm CEO of Shelby Farms Park Conservancy, a Memphis nonprofit organization that runs one of the largest urban parks in the country. Before you ask, yes, I have seen the TV show Parks and Rec. No, I'm not the real-life Leslie Nope. We're actually very different. You know, the TV show is about government in a small town, whereas what I do is about a nonprofit that runs a public park. It's really totally different. Uh, I have some charts and binders that I could use to demonstrate the difference if you want to see me after. As for what I actually do, I joined up as the first employee of this nonprofit supporting Shelby Farms Park back in 2006. I was just a couple of weeks outside of graduation from Rhodes College. Uh, I needed to make some money uh, to pay for grad school. I had dreams of becoming a professor or a literary critic, I wanted to live in a library for the rest of my life. And then I met Shelby Farms Park. And once I got involved, the park's magnetic pull was too strong for me to resist. Twelve years later, I'm still here. I've seen our company grow from two employees to more than 40. I've seen this unlikely piece of property 
uh, transform into one of the great urban parks in the country. And I've seen a city begin to transform along with it. Uh, today, I want to share with you why I'm so Leslie Nope level obsessed with parks, and I want some of that passion to rub off on you. I want you to think differently about parks and public space than maybe you do today. And I want you to understand the tremendous power and potential of our public realm. So, why parks? With all the challenges that our communities face today, why focus on parks and public space? I know that parks can't solve all of our problems, but I believe that communities that invest in their parks and public realm are going to be more prepared to offer meaningful solutions to a wide variety of issues. I also believe that parks can be magnets for talent, resources, optimism, hard conversations, quality of life indicators that cities need if they want to compete and succeed in a global economy. Now, urban parks in this country really first started to be built around the 19th century when cities were growing, and they were originally planned for city workers to be able to relax in nature. As cities started, cities started to grow around these green spaces, uh, eventually they would add things like zoos or art museums, creating a regional draw. Eventually, Uh, these regional draws uh, sort of gave way, and the cities gave way to suburban sprawl in post-World War II years. Things begin to change. But times are still changing, and urban cores are being repopulated and renewed, and smart communities are recognizing that they need to change their strategy. They're recognizing the tremendous potential that parks and the public realm have to strengthen our urban fabric, and they're recognizing the return on investment that's possible for communities that are willing to invest in parks in the public realm. So, the parks that, uh, that you're probably familiar with, the most famous, um, Central Park in New York, Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, Lincoln Park in Chicago, Shelby Farms Park in Memphis. I snuck that one on the list, but it will be on the list legitimately one day, I promise. These places are more than parks where city workers go to relax in nature. They draw tourists. Tourists spend money on things like dining, on hotels, on entertainment. It's, it's also about quality of life. Who here lives near a park? Anybody lucky enough? Wow. Who here wishes that they lived near a park? Of course. Everybody wants to live near parks and trails. These amenities have an incredible impact on increasing property value in the areas where we live. They increase our quality of life. When we first got started at Shelby Farms Park, uh, we spent a lot of time trying to paint a picture for people to help them understand what was possible at the park. We knew that we were on to something when we began seeing representatives from local companies bringing potential recruits to the park to try to entice them to move to Memphis, saying to them, if you move to Memphis to work for my company, this could be your park. They got it. And that was important for us. In a world where workers can choose where they want to live and then where they want to work, smart cities are taking quality of life issues like public parks seriously. In a livable community, companies are able to attract and retain the people that they need to build talented teams. Young people stay in a city. They don't need to leave for opportunities because opportunities exist where they are. Parks can also have a tremendous impact on our health. In America, one in five kids is overweight. 
But studies show that if you live near parks and trails, you're more likely to exercise more often. So what would happen if every kid in every city in America had safe and easy access to a vibrant parks and trails system? Generally, seniors comprise only about 4% of park visitors, although they make up about 20% of the overall population. The same study showed a well-placed investment in building a walking loop in a park could see the number of active seniors double. Strategic investments in our parks and public realm can be used to influence behavior in a way that helps us solve problems in our community. So, now you all believe that we need to be investing in parks in the public realm because they're magnets for success for a city. Well, what does that look like? In a time in which a lot of cities were trying to reclaim brownsfields or renovate existing parks, Memphis found itself with an incredibly rare opportunity to transform 4,500 acres of a prison farm into a public park. Shelby Farms Park is huge. It's about five times the size of Central Park in New York, and it's located near the center of population density in the region. It's a great opportunity that doesn't exist in other cities. It's very, very rare. The reason that it, it even exists as one piece is because although it was declared surplus in 1960, after the penal farm closed, and developers were trying to buy it all the time, each time a proposal would come up, citizens would rise up and demand that the land be preserved for public use. That's why the land still exists. Eventually, people began using the vast acres as a park to ride their bikes, ride their horses, to come out and walk. But Shelby Farms Park faced the same threats that many urban parks face. They didn't have a plan, and it wasn't adequately funded. Parks that don't have a plan can become overdeveloped over time. They can be filled with short-sighted additions. When parks aren't adequately funded, they can fall into disrepair. They start to feel unwelcoming and unsafe. People stop coming to them. When people don't come to a park, they don't value it. When parks aren't valued, they're at risk. So we knew that the park needed a plan. And in order to build that plan, we knew that we needed the community. We could see these threats looming in the future of Shelby Farms Park. But we could also see the potential for the park to be great and for it to have a positive impact that rippled out into the community for generations, a spark that could ignite a movement that could unleash pent-up demand for bike lanes, public trails, public parks. And it did. For more than a decade, I've had our vision statement memorized. I was there when it was written. It's practically tattooed on my heart. And now it's my job to carry the torch and to teach the words to others. Our vision is to give rise to a celebrated 21st century park that defines and shapes a great city. That sounds great, right? But what does it mean? What's a 21st century park and why does that matter? A 21st century park is one that's intentionally designed to respond to the specific dreams and hopes and needs of a community today and to anticipate those same dreams and hopes and challenges of tomorrow. It's one that serves as a magnet for the talent and resources that it needs to succeed. So in order to fulfill that very lofty vision, we engaged the public to help us build a master plan that was specifically designed to respond to their hopes and dreams. As a result, 
we had a, a shared community vision and a deep collective sense of determination to get it done. Shelby Farms Park today is a vibrant and beautiful public space. Every day it draws people from all across our community to come together. Let's go back to my metaphor about magnets for a minute. One of the most incredible powers Shelby Farms Park has had is the ability to attract what it needed to succeed. Talent, resources, energy, people, from business leaders to volunteers to incredibly talented staff members, the park brings the best people together. It also attracted $10 million in funding from state and local government, and then leveraged that for a whopping $60 million in private funding to build a, the first phase of our master plan. I promise I'm not telling you this to brag about how good we are at fundraising, although that is pretty impressive, I know. I want you to know that in Memphis, we cast a big, bold vision. And in Memphis, we raised the money to get it done. That's important. I'm proud of the work that we've done at Shelby Farms Park, not just because of the park's physical beauty, but because Memphis now serves as a blueprint for any community that's willing to work hard and dream big. Just a few weeks ago, in Memphis, a coalition of activists and citizens and government officials collaborated to take down Confederate statues in two of our city parks. To many, uh, these statues represented oppression and hatred, the things that divide us, when our parks and our public spaces are supposed to bring us together. This was a really important moment. The act of removing these statues represents who we are today. It doesn't change who we were yesterday, but it says something about who we're trying to be. From the monuments that we build to the ones that we tear down, from the health of the wildlife and ecosystems at our parks to the quality of the educational programming that we design, the work that we do in our public realm is important because it reflects our shared values as a community. We live in a time when people trust each other less and less. Studies show that our neighborhoods are becoming more economically segregated. Society feels fragmented, less cohesive. We communicate with one another less often face-to-face -face and more often on social media networks where extremism and people being provocative is rewarded with attention, where our empathy is eroded by the ability to say unkind things from the mask of anonymity or from the safety of physical distance. These are 21st century problems. In a time when we feel like we're more divided than ever, parks can be our common ground. More than anything else, parks are magnets for people. They draw together people from all over a community if they're well-designed and well-maintained. They pull us together. And I believe that time spent in public parks can help each of us restore our empathy spend time with strangers, encounter people from different backgrounds, and see our own humanity reflected back. Our parks, trails, waterfronts, bike lanes, these important public amenities are so powerful. They have the ability to be magnets for optimism, generosity, empathy, inclusion, equity, all of the things that a city needs. I also believe that parks can bring out the best in us. And when we get it right, our parks and public spaces reflect us at our best. Thank you.
right, guys, we are back here with Jen. You just heard her TED Talk. And if you're just tuning in, you're hearing us live on WYXR Memphis. And so, Jen, your talk, like, you've told us so much already today about the park and everything. And then your talk just really did that deep dive to kind of go into truly what the park brings to us in our, not just our city, but what parks do in general. Just kind of a level set for everyone listening and, and maybe a little bit for myself. I know we use the term parks and urban green spaces and mm -hmm. things like that. What what makes a park a park? Oh, wow. I feel like that's a really deep existential yeah. kind of. <laughs> I, well, like I, when I was thinking about it, I was like, I, I, I use the term urban green space. And I know yeah. they can be kind of used interchangeably. But I'm like, sure. what? you know, if someone like had the question, like, what makes a park a park? Is it just. Yeah, I mean the way uh, this is not a scientific yeah. answer, uh, and I don't think it's my I'm, favorite kind of answers. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm certainly not the definitive voice on this, but you know I think those of us in the business uh, think of it as the public realm. Yeah. So the spaces that um, that we own and share together, not yeah. private spaces, but public spaces. Um, you know, uh, a green line that's a linear park. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. there are all different kinds of parks. There are neighbor neighborhood parks, and those are, uh, I mean, the context clues. Those are the yeah. ones that serve a neighborhood. <laughs> and, uh, and we all love those, and those are necessary. Yeah. You know, I, I think um, those in the parks business often say a good standard would be that everybody's within five minutes walking uh, of a park or a trail mm -hmm. uh, that they could access. We're not there yet in the city, but um, the city parks director uh, is interested in increasing that accessibility. Then you have um, city parks, mm -hmm. uh, then you've got regional parks. That's kind of what we consider Shelby Farms Park to be. Um, you know, we draw in people from all over. It's right. not really a neighborhood park. It's a little bit bigger than that. And none of those are better or worse than any of the others. Mm -hmm. um, they're all part of a layered system of public spaces, green spaces that we have and share that are important not just for humans, but also for biodiversity, mm -hmm. um, for plants, for animals, uh, all of that. And uh, we're for more parks. Um, we we want to see more parks. We want to see all <laughs> of our parks uh, taken care of in a, in a um, really high-quality way because, uh, as I said earlier, we think that the work that you do in your public spaces reflects your values. So when you see parks that are not well-kept or that aren't reaching their potential, that's a reflection of our values. So um, we're, we're interested in doing anything we can to collaborate with groups that are, um, that are interested in changing that. And uh, we really love working with River Parks Partnership, with Overton Park, Wolf River Conservancy, the Heights Line Group, um, City Parks. We've got a great relationship with them. I really regret naming names because now I know I'm forgetting somebody. <laughs> but um, that's always the case. <laughs> the 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 parks ecosystem in Memphis is very connected, yeah. and uh, we're collaborators, not competitors, um, because the work that we do is elevated anytime another project succeeds. So, for example, as Wolf River Greenway completes its mission, you know, to um, both preserve and protect the land uh, around the Wolf River, but also to build uh, a 22 mile long urban trail. Uh, along the wolf, um, as those connections happen, more and more people are funneled into the park, mm. which is a great thing, and vice versa for them. So, um, you know, all boats rise every time these uh, public parks are improved. So the model of of Shelby Farms Park and the conservatory, how, I mean, is this is this unique to Memphis? Is this a trend we're seeing where we're not just relying on the public sector to support and manage and program our parks, but we're turning to 
a nonprofit solution to help complement that kind of investment? That's a great question. And uh, we modeled our conservancy on conservancy, uh, central. I'm sorry, I said conservatory. That's like, okay. You're in there, like singing Sometimes chamber people music. say consortium, <laughs> you know, and that one feels really yeah. serious to me somehow. Um, we we modeled our public private partnership, um, which that's uh, you know, like I said, property remains in public ownership. Private group comes along to contract with the public entity uh, to manage the property, and there are lots of them all over the country, and they're all different. Hmm. Um, so for some of them. Um, you know, the public entity will still provide some services. So maybe they do mowing or tree trimming or things like that. For ours, we do everything top to bottom. It's just that everything is retained in public ownership. And each one of those agreements depends on the political will in the place Mm. where you're uh, putting it together at the time that you're putting it together. Uh, Political will changes over time. Um, We uh, modeled what we do after... um, Central Park Conservancy and uh, also Piedmont Park, or um, sorry, not Piedmont, Prospect Park. We did look at Piedmont and mm-hmm. Atlanta, which is another great model, a little bit different than ours. But uh, Prospect Park in New York also was a big model for us. Um, uh, Overton Park has a conservancy mm-hmm. with the city, a public-private partnership, same for the river parks. But all three of our deals are different in terms of what level of funding we receive, uh, the, the amount of responsibility each nonprofit has. The length of the management agreement. We have a fifty-year agreement, which is uh, really great. Mm. Um, that's that's a big deal in the parks world to have that kind of tenure on your agreement. You can really make some great long-term decisions. I would say um, not every park needs a conservancy, and it's not the right solution for every project. It is one helpful tool that you can use in city building. Um, however, we also have to acknowledge that the whole reason. These public-private partnerships exist. It's because we're not able to invest the public money that we need to invest to make our public spaces great. And there is a fundamental problem there, um, especially in a city like Memphis or, you know, any slow or no-growth city. Um, figuring out how you're going to build the tax base and raise the tax dollars that you need to reinvest into these public spaces is a really tricky question, mm-hmm. you know, because that's always going to... Um, it's you're you're going to be battling um, decisions and opinions about education and fire and police and safety and you know it's difficult for parks to hold their own mm. in that conversation or it has been. There are some really smart cities that are investing in their public parks as critical infrastructure in a way um, that we haven't yet, but that I think more people are open to. Well, parks are very much a life indicator, right, of a city. And something that I found very fascinating about your TED Talk is you talk about how parks are a tractor and retainer for talent mm-hmm. in our city. And, like, I know New Memphis, we work on the talent retention side, so maybe I'm a little biased as well and <laughs> being like, that's super <laughs> intriguing to me. But when you really pause and stop to think about what the park is bringing to our city, like, yes, we can, like, wax poetic all day about how we love to go and, like, get out. But it's also just breathing life into our city in an actual business sense. It really is. And, you know, there I, I, I've um, spent a long, a lot of time over the years talking to people about this because it's a little bit difficult, I think, for people to wrap mm-hmm. their minds around why parks would be economic drivers. But actually, when you think about it, it becomes pretty clear. You know, if you could live next to a great park, wouldn't you want to? Wouldn't mm. you pay a premium? to live near a great park. You know, they increase our property values. Um, 
They make our communities safer. Uh, they improve quality of life. Um, in the early days at Shelby Farms Park, I would see uh, people from local headquartered global companies um, come in with recruits, mm -hmm. you know, people that they were trying to lure to the city. And one of the things that they wanted to show them was Shelby Farms Park, and that's before we improved it. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons those companies are willing to invest in our project is because it actually was going to benefit them, make it easier to recruit people to live and work and stay in Memphis, um, which we think is really important. I, I think, you know, in a city like Memphis, where we have so many people who live below the poverty line, people who are suffering, people who are struggling, education and income inequality, um, it, can, it can be hard for people to stop and think about parks in terms of a funding need. And that's one of the reasons that the public-private partnership model has worked for, the, um, for several of the entities uh, that, it, that it's employed at currently. But it is not the solution for every single park. I mean, in, in a perfect world for these public-private partnerships, uh, the public entity would provide all of the funding it takes to maintain the property every year. And then the nonprofit would be raising what it needed to improve the park or to put on programs or to do the extra things. And that's not how our public-private partnerships work. Um, and that's not to criticize anyone. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, more than ever, everyone who's a part of these partnerships or organizations, we're all really aligned in understanding how critical these public spaces are to our communities. Yeah, getting to that, I mean, as it is a, um, a community asset and sort of a publicly owned asset, how does the decision making work? Um, so both, you know, in a macro sense and then, you know, and I know you were guys were super intentional about getting community mm -hmm. input and buy in as you were creating that master plan. So what is that kind of process like and how do you how do you suss through all the different perspectives? I mean, I'm sure you had a million ideas that people said, oh, oh yeah. I want, you know, a water park there. I want that, you know, yes. and how do you kind of get to the heart of what the community wants and needs? Yeah. Um, you know, we talked a lot in the early days about building a 21st century park, and uh, I was doing communications work at the time, and I, I stopped one day and I, I just asked myself the question, what is a 21st century right. park and how is, <laughs> how is that different, you know, than a 20th century park? And, and we kind of workshopped it on the team, and where we got to was a great 21st century park is one that responds to the specific needs and dreams and desires of a 21st century city. Um, not nostalgia, not what used to be here, not what we used to want, um, but our needs today and the needs that we can predict for the future. And I thought that was a helpful organizing principle, um, but we really turned it over to the public. I mean, I, I spent a year um, doing public input for the master plan. That was almost all I did. Uh, we, had, um, we, we did a, a public search for our um, master planners we picked the final three. Um, we paid them each a stipend to come up with a design that we then owned. And then we exhibited those three designs publicly uh, for a long time in lots of different places and let people tell us what they liked yeah. about them and what they didn't. Uh, sort of what the sacred pieces of the park were that should never be touched and uh, what the biggest dreams were. And then it, and it really was not that hard at the end of that process to come away with some key opportunities and uh, some key pieces that had to be preserved and protected. Um, and most of those still ring true today. I mean, people wanted big water, which mm -hmm. we delivered. <laughs> <laughs> um, they wanted to still feel like they could have wild private places, you know, where mm -hmm. you can uh, go and walk in the woods and not run into anybody. That was important. 
to people. They also wanted places where you could gather together as a community in a way that you hadn't really been able to do at the park right. before. They wanted food options. So we were able to deliver on that. Uh, they wanted more bathrooms. You know, always a very practical <laughs> solution for, for parks. Uh, they wanted to be able to get snacks and water. And they wanted shady places to look at the lake. And, you know, the things that people wanted were really consistent with what our hopes and dreams for the park were. And so it really kind of naturally evolved um, over the course of that public input process. Um, and it was very clear at the end of it what mattered most. I think that's wonderful. You like, you had some really amazing quotes in your TED Talk. And I'm not just saying that because you're here in front of me. I'm saying it because I literally like took notes about them. Oh, but like one of the things you said is that you said in Memphis, we cast a big, bold vision. And in Memphis, we get it done. Is that kind of why you choose to keep working here in Memphis and striving to make the park the best it can be? You know, it really is. That's important to me. I've always felt like, you know, I had some options uh, for for where I should go. My, mm -hmm. my partner at the time, I've, I've since uh, drug him here, but he was living <laughs> in San Francisco. And so I was spending a lot of time in San Francisco um, enjoying all their parks. Yeah. And there were times that I thought about relocating since I had the opportunity to do so or, you know, to where my best friend lives in St. Louis, you know, I, but there was something about Memphis that kept drawing me. And really it's the, the park is just a big magnet that, you know, pulls people in and doesn't let them go. Um, but I was always really compelled by this feeling that in Memphis, there's some frontier left. And I liked the idea. I like that a lot. Of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did too. It's not for everybody. Yeah. Not everybody wants to work on the frontier, you know, but I, it gave me a great sense of purpose that I could do something that wasn't about me, but that would really matter and that would make me feel uh, a sense of community investment. And that's important for me too. I don't know that it's important for everybody in their work. I'm not really sure. I've only ever really done this, yeah. <laughs> you know, so everyone's got, you know, different goals. Um, but for me, what what could be more exciting and thrilling, you know, than getting to work on a public space that, you know, is going to be enjoyed years after I'm gone, you know, for years and years, forever, hopefully. Um, that's a pretty magical, special mm -hmm. thing, I think. Um, and I, I think it, magical thing. it matters that Memphis got it done because there are a lot of cities that haven't, but we did. Yeah. You even say that. You say Memphis is basically, you know, the brute blueprint the blueprint for like working hard and dreaming big and you guys are really making that happen at Shelby Farms and I think it's a very just it's admirable yes but it's just fascinating to hear you talk about what you guys are doing it's a really interesting story and it involves so many people I mean one of the neat things about it is that it's not about any specific person mm -hmm. it's um uh one of my past board chairs Barbara Hyde often says it was a huge, incredible community lift. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, to be fair, she she certainly did a lot of the lifting and taught me so much of what I know. But hundreds and hundreds of people that no one really even knows about, you know, who've touched this project and lifted it up, you know, and sort of hoisted it together so that we could do it. Um, and then the work every day to keep it going is, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, Parks and Rec was a great show, and I love it, but it does not tell the story. Yeah. It does not tell the story of running a park. I mean, I, that would be an amazing show, and I don't know yeah. that you could show it on TV because some of it is just wild. Yeah, it'd have to be a legit like reality show that like Bravo picks up. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a truth is stranger than fiction kind of mm -hmm. scenario. You know, we just every single day is new and different. I've never been bored, not a single day. 
How many times do you get compared to Leslie Nope? Like <laughs> quite a bit. Truly. <laughs> quite a bit. You opened your TED Talk that way. You're like, I am not. No. <laughs> well, that was that was the joke on my staff was that I was all or in the early days. I was so eager to say, no, I'm yeah. not Leslie Nope. And here's why. That's a show about government and yeah. how government works. And this is, and they would say, the more you say that, the more you <laughs> sound like her. <laughs> exactly. Well, now that we're talking about it, you do have like a bit of a resemblance to a little bit. Before, I, so. I did go as her two years ago for Halloween. It was for my staff. They enjoyed it. I love it. I think it's fun. Yeah. Well, Jen, this is fun. To I feel like I could sit here and talk to you yeah. about parks all day, um, but we will not keep you because I know you've got a lot of work to do. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for doing your TED Talk. We continue to be really proud of it. Um, again, one of our, one of our, uh, we're. Um, I, I don't want to say that we're not most proud of you, but in, you can in the, say that. Let's in, just go ahead in and the put pantheon of our amazing graduates. <laughs> you are a real star, and we so appreciate you and everything you do for our community. Yes. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. This episode was so much fun to have Jen here with us. And just as a reminder, if you would like to see her TED talk. All you have to do is go to youtube.com and in the search bar, just type in TEDx Memphis, Jen Andrews, and her talk will be the first thing that pops up and you'll get to actually see her present what you got to hear today live on stage, which I feel is, I feel like the audio is the most important part of the TED talk, like what they're talking about. But sometimes those visual elements, like seeing people and the passion they have for what they're talking about is also quite compelling to me. So go give it a watch if you would like to. Um, Anna, are you ready to say goodbye today? <laughs> I, it's such sweet sorrow as always. But yes, thank you for joining us this week for Meanwhile in Memphis. You can learn more about New Memphis, the organization that Christy and I are here representing at newmemphis.org. We hope you have a great week and we will see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to WYXR. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR, produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com. Mm-hmm.